As the uh, children go out with Tim and Kay, the rest of us can open our Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, where we will continue our study through this uh, great letter. Well, I just want to remind us that a little bit of the context. Uh, Colossae was a town not too far from Ephesus where Paul had never been, but some believers have uh, gone there to Colossae and they've shared the gospel, the fact that uh, Jesus Christ gave his life and they are to put their faith in him and follow him. And through their faith, they become children of God as Christ is the head of the body. So they are entered into his body, the church. And so there then, apparently, there was some communication back to Paul that things aren't going well in Colossae. Some people had infiltrated the ranks, some people that probably followed Paul from town to town, preaching a different gospel, adding to the gospel, changing the gospel. And so Paul writes this letter to people he'd never met but he knows of to help them understand truth, to help them understand who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And those are the two critical things for anybody as a Christian, is to understand who Jesus is and understand what Jesus has accomplished. And so that's what the letter is about. It's about Christ, who's the head of the church. And so um, before we begin, let's have a word of prayer together. Father, thank you for this uh, letter that was written to these people that Paul had never even met, but whom he cared for whom he shepherded with his words, your words, who he was able to write a letter to, and so we could read the letter, and we could be blessed by it, we could be encouraged by it. Pray that you give us wisdom and insight, that you would speak to our hearts as only you can, Jesus, about the truth here in your word, that, Holy Spirit, you would use the word of God as a scalpel on our hearts and our minds. Some of us need correcting. Some of us need comfort. Some of us need rebuking. Some of us need healing. Some of us need growing. Some of us need to be cleansed. Father, you know each one of us individually, and you're calling our names. You give us life. We're here today. We're alive. So... Help us to understand our responsibility to you. Teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to start on a verse where I had already covered, but we're leading up to the verse because today is just one sentence that I want to focus on. But in chapter 1, verse 15, Paul begins this description of Jesus his person, the person of Jesus, and then he'll get to the work of Jesus. But he wants the Colossians to understand who Jesus is. Because our understanding, whether it's a correct understanding or a false understanding of who the person of Jesus is, should affect and will affect every area of our life. If we have a faulty understanding of Jesus, then we're really we're going to find out here in a moment, we have no head. In a sense, we're disconnected from the head. And anybody knows that if you take the head from the body, there's no life because the life of the body comes from the head. 
the direction of the body comes from the head. And if the head is severed from the body, the body has no life. The body doesn't have life on its own. The life is connected to the head. And so Paul is going to try to explain to them very clearly against the false teaching that was happening in the community around them that they could follow angels, that they could follow rituals, that they could follow systems, that they could be part of religious exercises and call it good. The whole time, they're in control. And basically, they're the ones dictating and determining their whole life. And Paul says, no, there's a king. His name is Jesus. And he is the image of the invisible God. He's the one who rescued us from darkness and brought us into his kingdom. So now in verse 15, he begins to explain again the person of Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him... All things hold together, and He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything He might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him and through Him, to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross." So the word he and the word him again and again in this section. And he, he, the person of Jesus, is stressed. The name is stressed to, to show and point out that there, there, Paul is meaning no other. Speaking of Jesus, he's the creator, he's the sustainer, he's before all things. And then the verse I want to focus on today is verse... 18, where it says, and he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. And I'm just going to spoke on the, the first little phrase there. He's the head. What in the world does that mean? What is Paul referring to as the head? He's writing for a particular reason, for a particular um, unbelief and heresy that was coming into the church that was threatening what they understood about Jesus. So, in 1985, there's a Bible scholar named Wayne Grudem, and he's the most recognized individual on the understanding of the word head in the Greek language. He looked up 2,336 references to the word head in Greek literature from the 4th century to the 8th century around the time when the language would have been spoken that was used to write the New Testament scriptures. So he looked up all these uh, words, the word kephale, which is head in the Greek, and he looked up the references. And in each reference where the word head was speaking about a person, not the head of a river, not the head of um, uh, a company, as I, when I mean company, not a company as we know it today, but a, a caravan of people or the head of an animal. But when you're referring to relationships with people, the word head every time 
was described as authority over. The word meant authority over in relationships. So his conclusion was that Paul is using the word head to pronounce and describe the position that Jesus has in regard to the church, his body. He's the ruler. He's the authority. He is authority over the church, and it's not a pastor, not a priest, not a pope, not programs, not prayers, not philosophies, but the person of Jesus, where it says he is the head. He is the head over the church. And I just want to, um, Paul uses the word head seven or eight times in Colossians and Ephesians. And I just want to read through those verses. We looked at them before, but just to refresh our memory when we're talking about what God designated in Jesus when he put Jesus as the head of the church. So Colossians 1.18, and he is the head of the body, the church. Colossians 2.10. For in Christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form, and you too have become fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. So he's saying Jesus is the head over every power and authority. So if there's people in the Colossian community who are trying to distract them away from Jesus, away from the person of Jesus, away from the work of Jesus, they may come in uh, in a sense, in some idea of authority, these teachers. They would come, well, I've studied all the languages. I've done this. I've done that. And they may want to put Jesus down and put themselves up. And so Paul's saying, listen, he's the head over every power and authority. That's what he means by head. He's the head over every power and authority. In Colossians 2.19, where there's a whole uh, list of things there, starting in verse 16, not to let anybody lead them astray. In verse 19, he says, this person who's trying to lead you astray, this person who's talking about worshiping angels, this person who's talking about rules and regulations for you to follow, Look what he says in verse 19. He has lost connection with the head. Lost connection with the head. Who's the head? Jesus. He's the ruler. He's the authority of the church. So this person talking about all this other stuff, they've lost connection with the head. From whom the whole body, supported and held together by every supporting ligament, um, grows as God causes it to grow. And then a couple verses I want to point out in Ephesians. Okay, so you turn back a little. One uh, book you have Philippians. The next book is Ephesians. Because it's important for us to understand, for you and I to understand, that Jesus is not some puppet put in a place that we refer to. He's, He's the head of the church. He's the beginning. So if there's any idea of what the church is, any idea of who the church is, if it's disconnected from Jesus, it's a false church. There's only one church. There's only one body, one universal body, and that body meets all over the world in different local groups. So we call ourselves the Grace Chapel body. But if we're not connected to Jesus as the head, we're no church at all. We have no head. I am certainly not the head. Jesus is the head. 
So through the scripture here, Paul's pointing them that Jesus is the head. People will come and they may look like they're important. They may sound like they're important. They may have their philosophies and their ideas. But don't let them usurp the place of Jesus. And you can look around the world today. Men and women are trying to usurp Jesus. They're trying to gather people around themselves, build their own little churches, their own little kingdoms, their own little groups. And when they replace Jesus, the minute they are disconnected from the head, it's no longer the body of Christ. It's the body of that particular person. And so we need to be careful of that. So in Ephesians, as Paul was describing the benefits and the blessings and the plan of God to Christians, one of the verses... Is in ver- and uh, I'm going to start with verse 7 here because it's a kind of a long sentence. In Him, talking about Jesus, in Him we have redemption through His blood. He saved us. He forgave us. Not the, not the prophet, not the priest, not the pastor. It's Jesus. In accordance with the riches of God that He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure which He purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. So God has a plan unfolding in the universe that he was bringing everything under Jesus as the head. So if when God comes to you or God comes to me and he invites us in and we say, nope, I'll be my own ruler, I'll be my own authority, I don't want any part of that. You'd have a serious problem. Because there can only be one head, even Christ. He's the leader. He's the ruler. We either submit to Him and come under subjection to Him, cooperation with Him, obedience to Him, or we're not. In uh, Ephesians, at the end of chapter 1, It says, God placed all things under his feet, speaking about Jesus, and appointed him to be head over everything. He's the head over everything. And then it says, for the church. So it's the privilege that the church, and we'll get to the church in a minute, the basically the new community, the believers, we have a head. We have an authority over us. We have a provider, a protector. We have a leader. We have a king. His name is Jesus. That's one of the problems throughout history that uh, governments and organizations and politicians had with Christians. They would always try to get them under their rule, but they already had a ruler, Jesus, and they followed him. And when the king or the dictator or the ruler began to oppose God, the subjects and the citizens of that community would rebel. We already have a ruler. We already have a king. His name is Jesus. We're not going to serve Caesar. We're not going to serve, well, it would have been Caesar, the dictators. And we're not going to serve pastors, preachers, or popes. We're going to serve Jesus. He's the king. And so the church, all of us, have to continue to recognize under His authority, we rule, we, He rules and He reigns in our life as we give Him that place of authority that He so rightly deserves. 
So God placed all things under his feet, everything, appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So right now, during this time, while we're still here on earth, before Jesus returns, God is at work through his church, for his church, of which Jesus is the head, the ruler, the authority, the king, the savior, the redeemer, the forgiver, who fills everything in every way. So Jesus is at work through his body, the church. He's at work in your life. He's at work in our life, corporately and individually. When you go to love on someone, you represent Jesus. You're being his hands and his feet. That's what the church is. In Ephesians chapter 4, it says, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head. So wherever you are in your journey, maybe you haven't even made a commitment to God yet. You don't even know whether or not you're a Christian. Wherever you are in that journey, still seeking, still wondering, or growing for years, the idea is to grow up into him who is the head. Grow up into Christ-likeness. Grow up into being like Him. Knowing Him, representing Him. It's very interesting when Paul comes to later in Ephesians talking about marriage. He uses the same word, head, and he uses it in a descriptive manner. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. His body of which he is the Savior. In Ephesians 5.23. For the husband is the head of the wife as, a little descriptive word, how does Christ rule the church? How does he exercise his authority in the church? Is he gentle? Is he humble? Is he righteous? Is he holy? Is he good? Is he protecting? Is he sacrificing for? That's how the word head is to be used of Christ. He exercises his headship. It is certainly and without equivocation, rule and authority, but it's a certain kind of rule. He's not a tyrant. He's not a dictator. But it's a leadership of loving service whom he feeds and cares for and nurtures the body of Christ, his bride. So head, ruler, authority over. The body gets its life from the head. It gets its direction from the head. It gets its protection from the head. The head is the eyes and the ears and the mouth of the body, the vision, the connection with God. So as a Christian, we're not to live our lives in any old way. We have a head who is Jesus. And you and I, in a sense, you are not to submit yourself you are not to cooperate in any with any other ruler or authority except that which is designed by God. Because if we give ourselves to this or we give ourselves to that, we lose connection with the head, him who is the head. Head means ruler and authority. And as a Christian, I'm one who, we are one who is under authority. Under authority. He is the head of the body, the church. 
So if there's any definition of the church that has to do with being disconnected from Jesus, it's not the church the Bible's talking about. The Bible's talking about the church of which Jesus is the head. Jesus is authority. When I worked in the cities, um, in a factory, there was many different departments. You, you, the building was quite large, and you could go to this department, this department. I think there was like 15 different departments of this manufacturing company. And each uh, department had what was called a department head. Now, I was a young, naive greenhorn coming to work at this department, and my parents basically instilled in me, and I didn't even really know because I hadn't been out much in the public yet, to realize they taught me to be respectful. They taught me that when there's an authority in place, you come under that authority in respect and reverence as long as that authority is not abusing its authority. And, that, and so each of these departments had department heads. And they had the rule of their department. But surprising to me, naive little greenhorn coming into work in a factory, I just assumed everybody would respect the authority of the head. And they would serve the head. But I would watch what would happen when the head of the department would have a, a little meeting, a little pep talk to try to get us to maybe pay a little more attention to our work, do a little better job. People would be talking under their breath. They'd be looking the other way. And as soon as the head of the department left, they would start slandering. Start, <laughs> sure, we're going to listen to him or we're going to listen to her right. And I just thought, well, there must be some confusion here because they have no understanding of what a head is. And so in the same way, when we think about Jesus as the head, are we giving him the allegiance he deserves? Are we giving him authority in our life to rule us? And we'd have to ask ourselves, what's ruling me? Or who's ruling me? Or whose rule am I under? Because if he's the head of the church, his body then his rule over me should be making a functional, practical difference in my day-to-day -day life. So the question isn't whether you go to a building on a street corner on a Sunday morning for an hour. The question is, what do you do tomorrow morning when you wake up? Who's in charge of your life? Whose authority are you under? So a person needs to know if they're properly related to the head. If he's the head of the body, the church, then whoever, whatever, however you define the church, it must be fundamentally rightly related to the head. And if the individual is rightly related to the head, then you would see the authority of the head functioning in this individual, in the way they believe, and the way be, they behave. So are you under the authority of the head? Are we under the authority of the head? And you find that out by asking a simple question. What difference really does Jesus make in your life on a day-to-day -day basis?
Because when the head of the department would come and give a little pep talk, he or she, whichever person you're thinking of, they had little or no difference in the lives of those people who were disrespecting them, who were disconnected from them, who were not in any way, shape, or form intending to honor them. What's your intention with Jesus as the head? And so in this Colossian community, Paul was helping them understand, listen, somebody might come in and try to offer you a different philosophy. In several places, we see um, references to these people. Look at uh, chapter 2, verse 4. I tell you this, in chapter 2, verse 4 of Colossians, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. There were people that would come in their community with fine-sounding arguments, telling them to do this or that. Not necessarily the department of a head, but somebody who was trying to usurp Christ. I want to take a couple minutes just on the word church. He's the head, so he's the authority over the church. What is the word church mean? Interesting word. The church is not a building. The church is people. Looking at the in the original Greek, the word is called ekklesia. And it, the word translated in the New Testament just means it's the called out ones, the people. It does not refer to a building or a structure. It was a gathering of people. And Jesus' uh, word choice was well understood by the people of that area. For the culture at large, ecclesia meant a public assembly of citizens, called out ones, an assembly of citizens. In the Hebrew counterpart, it also meant a congregation. Um, so it's not a building. It's a group of people who through faith in Jesus have been born again and they're a living relationship in obedience and cooperation with Him and learning to live with one another. So the church is a group of people, but it's a kind of believing and a kind of behaving. And the word kind means type in this situation. I'm thinking about the characteristics. A kind of believing. The church believes that Jesus is who he said he was. That he's the son of the living God. That he's the savior. That he's the third person in father, son, second person in the the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So a kind of believing recognizes that I need a Savior. I need a head. You know what? My life is all over the place. I've been going this way for a while. I've been going this way for a while. I have no head. I have no authority over me. I just listen to this voice and that voice. And Ephesians talks about being tossed about by every wind and doctrine that comes along because you have no head. So it's a kind of believing. The church a group of people with a certain type of believing. But it's not believing anything. It's believing Jesus is who he said he is and recognizing that he's the head of the church. Recognizing that apart from putting my faith and trust in him, I don't care how many times I went to a building, I'm separated from God. 
Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God, and recognizing, I need a Savior. I'm a sinner, I need a Savior. And it's faith in His death and His resurrection. And it's a certain kind of behavior. It's not jumping through religious hoops. And you, it talks about food laws in here, and it talks about obeying the world in there in Colossians. And he says that's not it. It's a certain kind of behavior aligning yourself with His will. Not human philosophies and human programs, but with His will, acting like Him, seeking Him, not behaving to earn points, but because I know that He loves me and He's living to please Him because He's living in me through the relationship that I have by putting my faith in Him, living in a way that points to Him. So the body, and we've spent some time defining this, the body is a group of people who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. And by putting their faith in Jesus Christ, they're born into a family and they form a new community. And they basically spend the rest of their lives growing up into him who is the head, learning that they're to love one another and care for one another, and learning that they're to basically point to Jesus. And they have an opportunity to serve and tell the gospel. It's interesting, in the New Testament alone, not that there, there isn't allusions in the Old Testament to this group of people that were followers of God, but in the New Testament alone, there's 97 different analogies or symbols of what the church is how to describe the church. Here's just a few, okay? Saints, beloved, brothers, members together, faithful, believers, the called, the chosen together, justified, the sanctified, the redeemed, those who are in Christ, the bride, the family, building together, living stones, a temple, a royal priesthood, a flock, church of the firstborn, those whose names have been written in heaven, the saved, those purchased with his own blood, sharers together, inheritors, sons and daughters, a dwelling in which God lives, God's people, fellow citizens, one body. So he's the head of the body, the church. And it's our privilege and our duty, our responsibility to recognize Him as the head and grow up into Him who is the head and to recognize one another in this. And so to not be led astray and deceived by people. Look at verse 8 of chapter 2. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human traditions and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. So I, I would encourage you, if you hear me start to talk about philosophies and ideas and I'm not focused on Christ and I myself get distracted, call me out. Say, Chris, Jesus is the head. Jesus is the one we honor. Jesus is the one we pursue. Jesus is the one we're growing up into. Jesus is the one we obey. Jesus is the one we look to. Jesus is the one we proclaim. He's the one we preach about. 
And he's the one who will transform our lives and make us who are aliens and strangers to be his fellow members in his family. He'll draw us into that right relationship. So we will continue to plug our way through Colossians and learn more about the person and the work of Jesus so that we can know that we can be rightly related to him through faith in him and then live that out as the salt and the light and and live it out as his hands and his feet in our day-to-day lives. Jesus, we just thank you for your obedience to the Father. And Father, we thank you for appointing Jesus as the head of the church, that we do have an authority over us. We do have a provider and a protector. We do have one who has laid down his life for us. We do have one who is nurturing us, one who feeds us, and one who cares for us. Father, we can submit ourselves to you. You're the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And this is eternal life, to know you and to put our faith in you and our hope in you, to continue to grow in our trust in you, to acknowledge you and to daily check our drift, to make sure that you have our allegiance and that you usurp our plans for our life. We have all kinds of hopes and plans and dreams for what we want to do, where we want to go, who we want to be. Help us to recognize, Jesus, you as the head of our individual lives and our corporate lives, that you, Jesus, are the head of the church. Help us to honor you. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen.